Hello everybody, welcome to another episode of Keeping Up with the G-Men. I'm your host Christian Morell and this is my co-host Anthony Rivardo. We have some huge news here. It's really an end of an era actually. Eli Manning is no longer the starter for the New York Giants. Anthony, what do you think about that? It's a bittersweet moment. I've um, been watching Eli my whole life and now I'm excited to see Daniel Jones play but wondering if this is the the right timing to put Eli on the bench yeah and really the right timing like you said has been the major question for really over a year now and for some fans Eli Manning is the only quarterback they've known and those aren't even just new fans I mean this guy has been the quarterback for 16 years and hasn't missed any time so you know everybody you know, pretty much in the last couple decades, got to know him really well. Um, but, you know, I think Pat Shermer has really been wanting to do this, and I think based on his press conference yesterday, he just kind of seemed, like, deflated at this point. I mean, he seemed like he just had such a poor attitude, you know, as much as he likes to get on other guys. Did you seem to think the same thing? Yeah, I definitely thought the same thing because – even when he went on um, on the radio with Mike Francesa, and he just was not having any of it. Uh, Mike was really going after him, criticizing him really heavily, told him that the team is just terrible, and he just didn't even want to respond. He just sounded done with dealing with all the bad press, and it almost seems like they're scapegoating right now with Eli, and you know, I, I don't think he was the problem. I just don't think he was the solution either, so I think Maybe it is time to put in Daniel Jones, but, you know, Shermer does look fed up, but I'm also a little bit fed up with Shermer. I haven't been a fan of his play calling, and I think that's mainly the reason that Eli has not been succeeding this season. So he needs to check himself, too. Yeah, and that's a tough call because if you have a quarterback that you don't feel like you can do much with, your play calling isn't going to appear to be good in any way unless, like, the play actually works out. But there's going to be tons of plays where everyone's just thinking, well, what's going on here? Um, You know, I know in the past there's been some trouble in Dallas really calling good games with Dak Prescott through the air because earlier in his career he wasn't that great. And, you know, even Peyton Manning's last season, they really had a very vanilla playbook, and it was because – Peyton's arm talent just withered away. So it's really hard to tell how much of it, you know, is is Eli, you know, regressing and Shermer just not being creative. But I think there's no doubt that the playbook is going to open up with Daniel Jones. Yeah, it's definitely a combination of both. We know Eli isn't the same player that he used to be. That's really apparent. But Shermer is just situationally not calling good games so far. I mean, he scripts a great first drive every week, and then after that he just doesn't know how to adjust. It's like the defense adjusts, and then Shermer's playbook is just worthless. He he stops giving the ball to Saquon Barkley when we're only down one touchdown. It's not like we're behind by three scores. Saquon can still get the ball when we're behind by one touchdown. I think he had, you know, he had like five carries on the opening drive and then like only – five more for the rest of the half and then barely anything in the end because we were down but when we're not down by much 
might as well give him the ball. And I just think when you're asking 38-year-old Eli Manning, who has regressed, to be the guy to carry the team all game, you're just asking to lose. I don't know why Shermer doesn't go for a more run-heavy approach similar to the Seahawks and even the Vikings this year. Yeah, the questionable calls are definitely not limited to the stuff that he's calling with Eli. It happens in every phase of the game like we've seen. But let's talk about Eli, man. I mean, this guy just pretty much lost his job. I mean, I know he didn't get fired, but it's practically like that. I mean, it's almost worse for him to stick around. I mean, could you imagine if Eli ended up on the field again because Daniel Jones, God forbid, got hurt, and now Eli's only out there because he's the next best thing in Shermer's eyes? Yeah, well, it's it's definitely going to be weird for all of us, and obviously for Eli, too, that he's a backup quarterback now. And I don't know, if Daniel Jones stinks, do they put Eli in, or do they just ride it out? I would say, at this point, you have to just ride it out, because I don't think you can take Eli out and then put him back in. That would just be too weird, and then... You know, Eli is going to have to adjust to now being a backup quarterback, which he hasn't been for 16 years. And he's, I don't know, maybe he's like Alex Taney and now he's just going to be a player coach. So, I mean, Alex Taney really serves absolutely no purpose on this roster anymore. If Daniel Jones is the starter, I really don't understand why Taney hasn't been cut. But that's that's a long discussion we've been having. Yeah, and... I mean, Eli entering the field again, there's no way that can happen after they did this. That Once you did it, it had to be final. I mean, or else they're just basically like playing with the guy's emotions. I mean, once you did this, it had to be it. And I, be, I guess they're just going to let him hang on the roster for the next 14 weeks, you know, just to respect him. And I, I guess he's going to do that. I mean... Honestly, I don't think he has a trade market. I, I don't. I mean, Jacoby Brissett has been playing fine, and he already knows their system. I mean, it, it's going to take him a little while to get up to speed on another team at this point. I think his career is totally over after this. What do you think? Yeah, I don't think there's any trade market for him. I mean, Jacksonville, I don't see them making that move. I know that's a common place that people like to peg Eli because of Coughlin connection. But <clears throat> I think they they know that they're not really going to be in playoff contention this year. They'd still have a good defense, but now that Foles is hurt and Jalen Ramsey wants out, I think you can cross them off the list. Um, like you said, Brissett's been playing well in Indianapolis. Um I really, I don't know where else he would go. It's not like he's going to go tank in Miami and um, the Bucks. they're riding out with Jameis. I don't see any any options on the market for him. Um, some people have said the Steelers too, now that Ben Roethlisberger is hurt, but they're pretty high on Mason Rudolph. So it does look like it is the end of Eli's career. I think he's kind of being forced into retirement after this season because I, I don't think anybody's really interested in holding on to a 38-year-old quarterback at this point. Now, I would say Gardner Minshew in Jacksonville. Um, but do we actually know Nick Foles is out for the year? 
Um, it looks like he's not going to be playing for the majority of the year, and by then I assume they'll be out of playoff contention. But I don't think they they think they're going to be in playoff contention with the way that players are turning on the coach and everything. <clears throat> All right, so we're really looking. I mean, we're really, I mean, 95% certain we're looking at the end of Eli's career. So, you know, I hope everybody at least enjoyed some of the Buffalo game if they were suspecting this much. Um, you know, he did manage to throw a pretty nice touchdown pass to TJ Jones. But, you know, overall, I think this team really has wanted to do this for quite some time. And I think it just got to the point where, you know, the offense was honestly unbearable to watch. I mean, you know, people who have to preach the company line talk about, you know, the amount of yards that they amassed throughout the game. All right, well, how about the points going into the fourth quarter? I mean, seven points, ten points, it's not going to get it done. And the quarterback is tied up in all of that. It's the one position that can have the most individual impact in a football game. So, I mean, while Eli wasn't losing the games, he was not keeping up in these shootouts, even remotely. Right. He, he's not the reason they're losing, but he's not going to be the reason that they're winning. And I'm, I'm one of the biggest Eli fans, but even when people try to point out it's the defense's fault, it's the depleted receiver corps, when they're going into a fourth quarter and they've only scored seven points, the quarterback has some, some part of that. Like, he's definitely playing a part in the failure. I mean, I don't think that he's been as bad as some people are trying to make it out to be. But he's just not going to elevate the team into wins this year. Yeah, I mean, it's a position that's known to raise the talent around them if they are really, you know, worth your time, to be quite frank about it. And with a first-round pick on the team behind him. I mean, he's getting 14 games to get ready for 2020 when this team is going to be, you know, feeling serious about trying to compete again. Yeah, and it's it's weird because it feels like they weren't that serious about trying to compete this year once the season started, but beforehand it seemed like they were serious. It's all weird the way that the Giants have gone about rebuilding. They've always had one foot in and one foot out. They drafted a running back with a second pick. They, you know, kept Eli Manning despite his high cap hit and 38-year-old self. And now they finally are getting the ball rolling with a new quarterback. And it's just they don't want to fully tear it down and rebuild, but it almost feels like if they don't, it's just going to be mediocrity for years. So I think they put themselves in a pretty poor position. Um, I know they have a lot of cap space next year, but... I really hope they don't blow it all on big names because it might give you short-term success, but in the long run, those players that you're spending money on are veterans, and they're going to wash up pretty quickly. We saw that in 2016 to 2017. Yeah, yeah, we saw a initial jump on the defense, and it, you know, bringing all those free agents together when Jerry Reese did that, he brought in Janoris Jenkins, uh, Snacks Harrison, Olivier Vernon, and I, th- I feel like I'm missing one. But that that brought them to the playoffs that year. It was the 2016 season. Mm-hmm. But then those guys took a serious dip in their performance and were still making a lot of money outside of snacks, of course, because, you know, he's still a pretty dominant player. 
But speaking of Janoris Jenkins, I think he might be on his way out of here because Shermer really did not appreciate the kind of stuff he had to say. Yeah, I mean, I think he was honestly just telling the truth. Uh, from he his was. point of from his point of view, uh, that's the truth. He he can't guard a receiver for ten seconds, and I think actually the pass rush played a lot better in week two than it did in week one. And I still think the secondary is performing poorly, even though he had a valid point. But they they probably do want to get rid of Jenkins, see what they can get for him from a competing you know a contender. Maybe they can squeeze out a second round pick if a team is you know, doing well enough and is willing to give it up, then, you know, you got to take it. But it's just going to go from bad to worse if they get rid of their best cornerback because, you know, I think if they're going to trade him, they got to wait at least like five weeks because, you know, DeAndre Baker looks lost out there. They're not giving Julian Love any snaps. They're not giving Corey Ballantyne yeah, any and, snaps. Uh, yeah, speaking of Baker, it is okay for a rookie to struggle. It is really okay. I mean, a lot of people are, like, calling for this guy's job, but, I mean, relax, guys. Sure, he should be benched, but don't go calling him a bust yet. And, uh, you know, another thing Pat said about that is he doesn't like anyone making excuses. And, ironically, I think Eli might have done something out of character such as that. I think, you know, during his press conference, they, uh... They asked him about how he's been performing, and he said, well, I, I haven't been missing, and he goes, well, I guess I missed, I, mean, I guess I missed Evan on a throw, and so he was almost kind of making an excuse for himself, and like, that's not something we've really seen Eli do before. Well, I get the sense that Eli knew that this was about to happen. He knew with a, with a poor performance in week two. His, it meant his job, and I think he knew it, and I think we all knew it. We just didn't believe it, and once it happened, you know, now we're here, and Daniel Jones is a starter, but I'm sure Eli's just trying to cope with it any way that he can, so that's probably the explanation for that press conference. Yeah, I mean, it definitely can't be easy, and, you know, he was emotional. Uh, Shermer just seemed deflated. Uh so it it did seem kind of fishy to me, and I didn't think it would happen after two games. I really didn't. I thought if they were going to pay him millions upon millions of dollars this year, the two games wouldn't be able to do it. Yeah, I thought they would have waited longer, and I sort of wish they did. Um, I, I get you just want to see if... You can still compete. That's why you want to do it early because, you know, you never know. Maybe Daniel Jones goes out there and he's Patrick Mahomes and then we just start winning games. So that's that's the upside. It's unlikely, but I get that part part of it. But I just don't see this team being competitive this year regardless of who's a quarterback. So I think they probably could have just given it a little bit more time before they threw uh, Jones out there. Yeah, and speaking of some of that, when – Dan Schneier was on our podcast last week. He he does a really good job with film breakdown from with CBS Sports. He was talking about how I I was really trying to pick his brain on what he thinks some of Eli's flaws are. And he said that Eli really reminds him of 
a young quarterback even to this day because he struggles to read the field beyond what his first read is going to be. And if that doesn't go well, he either forces it or panics and almost throws it away every time. And when when that got ironed into him, I mean, it was probably sometime over the last five years, but uh, Daniel might come in and actually do better getting through progressions. It, as weird as it sounds, because it is really not the norm. You're talking about a 16-year vet, but he's he's never thrived in reading the field. It, I mean, he's he's done good in blitz situations. Like, he's really good at recognizing when a guy is actually going to blitz or when he's not. But as far as making it through every single type of coverage, I mean, he's we're not going to see a massive drop-off in that area with Jones. Well, with reading the field, I think Eli... I mean, he knows how to read the field. He is a 16-year veteran, Hall of Fame quarterback. So he knows how to read it, but it is that locking into his first read problem. I think he reads the field pre-snap and then post-snap. If they change their coverage because it's a disguise, then he goes to the first read. And I, I feel like ever since Ben McAdoo was brought to town and he ran that vanilla offense, and he really changed Eli's game because before McAdoo, it was... It was a lot of, if Eli didn't see the guy there, he's not looking to force it underneath. He's looking to force it downfield. And Eli used to be a really aggressive quarterback. And ever since McAdoo, he's just been maybe the most conservative quarterback that I've ever watched. And he, you know, third and 13, he's checking down two yards past the line of scrimmage. And that just doesn't seem Eli to me, not since you know, before McAdoo, that was not ever his game, but it seems well, like ever I, since McAdoo, that's, that's been how he plays. Well, I think he's just thrown so many picks that he tried preserving his job at a certain point, much like Pat Shermer is doing right now by putting Jones in there. I mean, Shermer's kind of at a point where he's like, okay, I'm I'm kind of going to show you that I can get a little spark with Jones here. And he's not telling the fans that. I think he wants to show ownership that. But in the same way, I think, you know, once McAdoo came to town, he really taught Eli, okay, stop forcing things downfield. And he really stopped. I mean, he thought, okay, if I keep throwing this many picks, I'm going to lose my job. Right, and... That's, and something think, he's always struggled with <clears throat> is really judging when a guy is open. I mean, the reason he really throws all these picks is because he's just not a great judge of when he can fit the ball somewhere safely. I mean, some of them over the years have been on guys like Ruben Randall, but that is like at a season at a time, and he's turned the ball over more than anybody since 2011. So, I mean, it's it's been an issue that's just never gone away. Yeah, and I think it's been amplified um, since McAdoo. And I don't want to just, like, pin the downfall of Eli Manning on Ben McAdoo. You know, obviously Manning has a, a big part in his own demise. But it seems like Shermer also wants the conservative play style out of Eli and I just I never saw that as Eli's game until these um, 
you know, Shermer and McAdoo started coaching him, it seems like they really changed his game, and it, he he was very obedient towards their their system. Like, he really respected their offensive system, but I think he almost went too far and just totally, you know, decided he wasn't going to play like himself anymore. And one thing with the locking onto the first read that Eli is so used to, we saw in preseason Daniel Jones, of course, played amazing, but a lot of his throws were first read throws, and you almost... And even in week one, when he got limited playing time, his throws were to the first read, so you almost fear that it's maybe going to be more of the same. I think that week one game was really just to really just let him break in with with some easy snaps in the NFL. Um, But I guess Eli, I think they wanted him to change, but I think they thought that throwing the ball you know, a shorter distance would mean better decisions. But that's not necessarily the case because if it worked out that way, Eli would be dinking and dunking all the way down the field for touchdowns pretty often. But you can't ask Eli to make like 10, 12 good decisions with the ball in one drive. I mean, that's not him. And I, But honestly, I think it's going to open up once Daniel hits the field because Teams will have to spread out a little bit more to, you know, really defend his running ability, and that'll help with the coverages. So I think this is something that Pat has just been dying to do, honestly. Yeah, but, I mean, I don't know. It's when you see teams like the Patriots, you know, I mean, that's an extreme, but they dink and dunk with the best of them. Even the Saints, they've got a system where their veteran quarterback dinks and dunks, and when he needs to take a shot, he does. But often when you see them dinking and dunking, you see wide-open players underneath. And with the Giants, you really don't see that. So I don't know if it's the lack of talent or if it's the offensive system. But either way, it really should fall on Shermer. I think a lot of times you'll see Eli check down, and it's pretty much just covered. I don't ever see Saquon Barkley running routes past the line of scrimmage anymore. It's all screens or, you know, swing routes. It's never going past the line of scrimmage. And I think just most of the problems come from the scheme and the lack of creativity in getting receivers open. Well, they've become so predictable, too. And when you see defenders just backing up on, like, a second and seven because they know... Pat Shermer only passes in second and long. I mean, that can't be going on. I mean, at that point, Pat Shermer needs to recognize that. It's like, okay, we're doing a run because they're not playing me honestly, and they basically know what my tendencies are. I mean, it's it's unbelievable. I mean, <clears throat> it's not likely that the guy just starts calling better plays now that Jones enters the lineup. But, I mean, hopefully you know, what what he has planned for him will work a lot better. Yeah, and I have a question for you. What do you think about the whole Shermer, Eli, Daniel Jones? Do you think that Shermer is now officially on the hot seat? We need to see Jones succeed in order for us to, to, uh, to keep going with Shermer, and same goes for Dave Gettleman. Do you think that they're both on the hot seat now? I think Gettleman is safe. And I think Shermer is on the hot seat. But with that said, I think 
he has a reserved spot going into 2020 as long as this team just doesn't implode. As long as we don't start having the issues that there was under McAdoo. And by the way, Jenkins was caught up in that too. So if Shermer is really thinking about preserving his job, he's going to send Janoris packing. But Mm -hmm. I think Shermer is basically on the hot seat with a pass on the rest of this season. I think going into 2020, Shermer needs to perform way better or else he's gone. And the same goes for James Betcher, but honestly, I don't even think he's safe anymore. I think he's on the hot seat, and I think he could go at any moment. Yeah, James Betcher is somebody that I definitely think is on the hot seat. I mean, the defensive play calling in these first two weeks has been atrocious, and the players really just look confused. Like, they don't know what they're doing. Like, they haven't been coached to perform in an NFL game, and it's, it's really head-scratching. And I wonder with this situation that we have in hand, if – Whose, whose decision was it? Um, I, I assume that it was Pat Shermer's, but I wonder if there was disagreement amongst Shermer, the owners, and Gettleman. I wonder if any party wanted Eli to continue starting. I, I mean, I also assume that John Mara wanted Eli to continue starting because you know that the owners have a real soft spot for Eli, but I wonder if that could lead into you better prove me wrong or you're fired kind of situation. Well, I think that could that situation could happen but I don't think that situation would come until 2020 because looking at what's going to be around Daniel Jones this year he's set up to lose but I think if he at least puts up a respectable personal performance and creates optimism that's going to buy these guys that's going to buy these guys a season and then what they do with it from there you know, is in their hands. But I, th- I think the team is too bad right now to base any staff decisions on, you know, what this team produces. Right, and I, I'd probably agree. I think they're safe until the end of the year, even though I personally don't think they should be. I think they are, unless, you know, if Jones looks just that bad or if the locker room is just lost and, you know... Saquon Barkley starts calling out players then you know it's really bad and if that were to happen I think Shermer would most certainly be looking at his demise by the end of the year yeah as long as this team stays united and we don't have all of the nonsense that was going on in 2017 if everybody keeps this you know all is well attitude and you know we're we're all family attitude and everybody's keeping their composure throughout games and throughout press conferences, then I think Shermer will definitely be back for 2020. But he better have some amazing stuff schemed up come come time, you know, come time next year because, yeah, like you said, a lot of his stuff has been very questionable so far. And to be honest with you, I mean, if I had to guess today, I don't think Shermer works out because... I mean, what got you here? You're a you're a offensive specialist, an expert, and your offense sucks. So, what do you right. have to offer? <laughs> because because right. he's shown that he can he really can't manage games very well. I'm sure he doesn't have a damn thing to say to James Betcher about defense. <laughs> uh, so, which by the way, Betcher needs because 
all he does is sign the guys that he's familiar with. And mm. <laughs> but oh man, like Marcus Golden. Oh, I was pounding Bethea. the table. I was pounding the table for Shaquille Barrett in the off season and yep. with Golden instead. He's a much better player. Yeah, but they go with the guy who they're more familiar with every single time. Yeah, I can't. Bethea's yeah. just been. How many he's safeties really around the market? Age. Plenty. Yeah. There's safeties. And everywhere. he's also Actually, been. He's one of the best safety classes in free agency in almost ever. Yeah, and you come up with Bethea. And right. he's actually been out of place, too, with all of his years of experience. So the defense is a total mess, not even because of talent, but because they don't even know what to do. And, yeah, Betcher, man, for a guy that I was so optimistic about, he's looking like an absolute fool. He really is. Yeah, and with Pat Shermer and the play calling, like you were saying, he really needs to prove some sort of creativity or ability to elevate a player to the next level by the end of the season. If not, I think he has to give up play calling at this point. I think it's been that bad, and I don't think that he is able to manage a game, like you said, and call plays. I think it's too much for him. He doesn't adjust well. He scripts well, and then after that, it's kind of like a a roll of the dice. And then I think... Maybe they should let Mike Shula uh, at least attempt to call plays here and there. And But the only thing that I really fear about that is if we have our offensive-minded coach give up play calling once again, it's basically just Ben McAdoo 2.0. And then we're looking at a really slippery slope, and we're looking at tearing this down and rebuilding once again. And that's twice within five years. And then just when is it going to end? Well, in that case, at least you still have Gettleman. Because, I mean, the two aren't exactly tied to the hip. Well, at least. And I, I know. That's, that's a scary It's a scary sound at this moment. I know. Yeah. But they wouldn't be creating a whole new regime again. Because, I mean, I think that preseason alone has bought Gettleman a year. The, the preseason that Daniel Jones had. Um, I guess, whether, but... To me, it looks like they are tied at the hip. It looks like Shermer is Gettleman's guy, and he's going to ride or die with him. And once one implodes, it looks like the other one's going to implode with him to me. I mean, I don't think the owners have them tied at the hip, but I think they're tied together. And I don't see Gettleman having the cojones to fire Shermer outright and find a new coach. I mean, if it came if it came to him not having his job either, I mean, if they, if they walked up to Gettleman and said, we want Shermer gone. I don't think Shermer. I don't think Edelman's going to become super loyal to Shermer and say, "Oh, well, he's my guy," and you know, yeah, he goes, right. I go. Right, but then at this point, do we trust him to hire another head coach? You know, if well, I think I think you know the ownership would be part of that. I mean, they were last time, and <laughs> if Shermer goes on this road that we're theoretically talking about then it's just going to be a huge mess and i think you you have to just get a new regime again well this time the guy they hire uh his opinion of whether he wants to start eli or not is a prerequisite this time so that's that's a good point maybe it broadens the window of even appeal for the job and you know some big names could possibly say no i want to get my hands on daniel jones i mean so I could I could see a situation myself where 
Gettleman has to really just maintain his spot above Shermer. But it I, overall, I don't think it looks good for Shermer. I, I think it looks a lot better for Gettleman than the actual coaches right now. Yeah, I definitely think so too, just because of how players really look lost. And that's that's the word to describe it. You have Bethea and Baker both rotating to the wrong receiver on the same play and lighting up 50-yard passes, and it's just... How do you not know your assignment, and how is this a repeated issue? And I understand Baker is a rookie, and issues are expected, but mistakes are expected to be made, but they're just so frequent, and we literally have not seen him break up a single pass, and he's been targeted at least 20 times. And I think that's the stuff where it singles out the coaches more than it singles out Dave Gettleman. Exactly. Because... You don't even know if the pieces he's offering are adequate because these pieces aren't even being coached. I mean, right. it's it's terrible. And, I, you know, like you said, you take the playbook out of Pat Shermer's hands, and what do you even have? You have an offensive specialist who's basically the... Clipboard holder. You know, yeah, just like the... The, the billboard face of about it. yeah, I mean, just just the headpiece who was really not doing a ton. I mean, <laughs> so he's right. he's not good for that role. When you get a head coach, you're so much better off getting a defensive-minded guy who does not mind sitting back and looking at the big picture, and you know having some of his hand and what happens defensively, but not calling plays. You know, letting a coordinator do his job. There's a reason why a head coach and coordinator are not the same job. And Pat Shermer makes it obvious. No, I totally agree with you there. Shermer is, yeah, he does not look like a head coach. He looks like an offensive coordinator who somehow got this job and does not seem prepared for it, even though it's been over a year. Now the reason I think the reason he got the job with the Giants is because they wanted the guy who was most politically correct. The guy who seems like he's running a mayor campaign, you know, just saying the best possible thing to every single question. And Shermer was able to do that. You know, he's he's very well spoken and he knows how to really maneuver around the media very well. And that was so important to the Giants. But we're not in such a controversial time anymore. I mean, the right. the the Eli constant questioning can be lifted now. So yeah, I think there's going to be a whole different type of appeal for this job if it becomes open again. Yeah, he they definitely um, had a had a heavy factor towards his political correctness, like you're saying, and his ability to handle the media. But I think. They really sacrificed a lot with what they could have had from a football standpoint. I think from a football standpoint, they looked at it as, we want to give Eli a chance, and this guy gives us the best chance to re- to revive his career. He is This is the offensive specialist that we've interviewed, because they, they interviewed a lot of defensive head coaches and head coach candidates, and Shermer was probably the best offensive candidate. But, you know, of course, they... I think they went with him ultimately because of the way he handles the media and not because of the way that he would handle the football, even though 
I think that played some factor. I think you're right. It was the media. And it's really too bad, too. I mean, at least they didn't hire Steve Wilkes because he was absolutely like one of the worst yeah, coaches I've that, seen. Yeah, they in a were long close time. to hiring him too. And yeah, but, and Matt Patricia too. They looked at him, and I think they ultimately didn't go with him just because of the um, the media correctness that you were referring to. Yeah. So you know, it's it's crazy how many decisions this franchise has made that are really impacted by off-the-field factors. But overall, I think Shermer's probably going to end up losing the job, but he's getting a chance right now at self-preservation because if he really opens up the playbook and Daniel Jones starts winning some games, he can kind of look at management and say, I told you so. I mean, right. as much as I like Eli and respect Eli, it just was not going to work. No, it seemed doomed from the start, and, you know, we got to look ahead and really hope that the playbook does open up and Daniel Jones does perform, because if not, like we said, it's a it's a slippery slope. Yep, and, you know, overall, I think the team probably should have left him home after last season. Hmm. Uh, you know, that picture he had with his daughters on the field, and you know, I don't know if you remember that, his oh, wife. I do. His wife wanted him to do it, and the media asked him why, and he kind of shrugged it off and made an excuse. He's like, oh, happy wife, happy life, you know, <laughs> and it was funny, and, you know, I've learned a little bit about that myself, but uh, <laughs> but I think that really should have been it right there, and to come in for these two games and just get blown out both times, it's it's really sad to watch it end this way. Yeah, it it certainly is, and it's going to be really sad to watch him on the sideline for 14 weeks. It's going to be tough, and you almost got to wonder if he's going to honestly consider walking away from it midseason because four, Ugh, 14 weeks to. of him. I, I think he does. 14 weeks of him standing on the sideline. He, he doesn't deserve that, and Giants fans don't deserve to watch that. No, and I hope I hope Archie and Peyton are on him right now, saying, Eli, just retire, man. Like, you are dragging this out. And it's, like, painful to watch for everybody. I mean, are they actually even going to put him in a uniform? I mean, at this I, I point, hope, why I wouldn't... I they do, at the very least. You don't make Tanny active over Eli. That's almost just disrespectful at that point. Well, this is what I'm saying. You release Tanny, you put Eli in Tanny's spot, you'll get another young quarterback. Maybe you get, maybe you bring Lawletta back and say, hey, sorry, bud, you know. <laughs> I mean, I know he's in Eagle country now, so. Yuck. I don't know if whatever they have over there is contagious. You don't want to <laughs> bring it back to the locker room, but that's whatever they got over there, it's nothing to mess with, but. <laughs> But, you know, maybe a different young quarterback, I don't know. But you're putting Jones in now, you're not taking him back out, even if he's bad. Like, they even said it. This is for the future, so it's really got nothing to do with the way he's performing. So this this is it, man. Yeah, and I'm pretty lucky I'm going to be there on Sunday. It's in Tampa, and it's only about two hours from my college campus, so I'm going to be there for... 
Daniel Jones' first start in the NFL, and I'm really excited, but, you know, slightly disappointed that I'm not going to be able to see Eli one more time. You know, it's end of an era, and it just doesn't feel real yet. Yeah, well, you'll be witnessing history. Right. I was able to make it to Saquon's first game, and... That's awesome. So you get Jones's. That's that's pretty cool. Yeah. But yeah, you really have to uh, you really have to savor each football game because right. you never know when it's any player's last game. Yeah. I mean, look at the Steelers with Ryan Shazier. Right. He wasn't even old, and no. For all they know, that game is the last one they'll ever see him play. So when you're watching these games, you know, definitely savor it and appreciate it and i'm sure every giants fan out there even if they wanted to see this happen they they appreciate eli for what he's done yeah of course and you have to i mean he is the best quarterback in franchise history i don't think it's debatable oh absolutely yeah best best quarterback the franchise has ever had and and more importantly the best representation of a giants player off the field you know on the field it was always Eli. He was always the classy man, and the Giants were really lucky to have him as long as they did. Absolutely, and you know, for everybody listening, if you know, some of us have have called for Eli to get benched, and it's not because we lack any respect for the guy. I mean, right. it's just a difference in where the team is headed and what makes sense to put certain guys on the field. I mean, all of us, you know, have an amazing amount of respect for Eli. Mm -hmm. And to close out, do you want to maybe share a couple of your favorite memories? And maybe we can exclude the crazy sack that he avoided in the Super Bowl to hit Tyree because that's – that's kind of everybody's favorite, but... <laughs> right. Actually, was... my favorite is a, a hit that he actually did take. Um, against the 49ers, this is probably my favorite play of his career. He he had gotten hit hard on a play and then got right up, of course. And then the next play, they ran a screen to Bradshaw, and he rolled out to the left, and he just got met by Justin Smith. Totally pile drive to the ground. And then I'll never forget when his shoulder... His, his uh, shoulder pads are hanging out of his jersey and his chin strap is on his nose and he just gets up, calls a timeout, tucks it back in and walks over to the sideline. That's all-time favorite Eli moment outside of the Super Bowls and that's one I'll never forget. And it really speaks to the kind of player he was. Exactly. He, was, he wasn't getting up for himself. He was getting up for, for the team and for the fans and he was putting the team on his back and it was the epitome of Eli Manning. Absolutely. Um, one of mine uh, was actually the first time I ever went to a game. Eli was playing the Eagles week 17, and I really didn't know what to expect because, you know, the team was right on the border of making it to the playoffs. And he crushed the Eagles. He threw six touchdown passes, and they blew him out 42-7. to it was unbelievable. It's like mm-hmm. something totally out of character between the Giants and Eagles. And the, the Giant, you know, Eli just picked them apart. Yeah. Great memory. Unfortunately, I haven't seen him 
you know, beating the Eagles in a while, and that sucks because that was always the best when he would beat that team for sure. Yep, and uh, his his last win against them was actually 2016 September game. You remember that one? Right. Um, at home, Odell Beckham yep. catching the corner of the end zone. Uh, nope. That was uh, that was 2017. That was that was the game they ended up losing. On the no, 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 not that, not that one, not the one-handed. He um, it was on the goal line. He kind of, it, it was a 2016. He had a he kind of scooped it over the Eagles' corner, and he also took a took a slant to the house. I know which game you're talking about. Yeah, yeah. That first play, he threw yeah, slant to the house, and then. That other play, it was almost supposed to be like a goal line fade. Right. And he just blew right past him. Yeah, so. But, yeah, it's an end of an era, and going into this season, you knew there was going to be big changes. So we will talk again next week and review Daniel's first game. So Yeah, I'm excited for that. Yeah, so before we go, is there anything else you want to let everyone know about? Yeah, just follow us on Twitter. That's where we like to post all of our articles, post our podcasts there. So if you want to know as soon as it comes out, we tweet it out. And um, we like to interact, uh, break down the Giants, and talk with fans about the Giants. And, yeah, I'm at Anthony underscore Rivardo, and Christian is at CMRL NFL. So give us a follow. Yeah, definitely. And make sure you go to empiresportsmedia.com to check out your daily New York sports content and news. And we know it's been a very bittersweet day for everybody, but the team thinks the future is looking bright and, you know, we'll all just have to hope they're right about it. So we'll talk to you again next week.